Welcome to Plenary Session. I'm Dr. Vinay Prasad. I'm an associate professor at the University of California, San Francisco. My interests are medicine, hematology, oncology, and health policy, and that's what you're going to get on this podcast. This week, we got a great episode in store for you. We've got an interview, and I think you're going to really like this. But first, a plug. If you like this podcast, check out the new website, www.plenarysessionpodcast.com. We've got show notes. We've got trial summaries. We've got everything you could want on the website. Follow us on Twitter at plenary underscore session. Write a review for us on the iTunes store. And become a supporter for this podcast on Patreon. Patreon backers get access to the slides for presentations I give on Plenary Session. You also get a few bonus lectures. And with that, let's start the show. I'm back in Plenary Session Video Edition, joined by Sven Olsen. Sven Jamin Olsen. Um, you go by Svematologist on Twitter, is that right? I should have just kept it Svenjamin, Sven Jamin. That was the old one, right? Sven Jamin. Yeah, it was more, it was more catchy. I, everyone seems to remember that one better. Now you're the Svematologist. Correct. I felt like I had to rebrand myself when I became a faculty member. Well, we're waiting for our, our compatriot, Dr. Joseph Schatzel. But Sven Olsen is a um, hematologist-oncologist, assistant professor, and division chief of the section of hematology at Oregon Health and Science University. Section of classical hematology. Oh, that's right. Cla- <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you that one of my first acts as section chief was to rename our division or a section. So now all the branding and everything will be switched to classical hematology shortly. Oh, that's wonderful. So you're getting new signs made is what you've done. Yeah, my first important order of business was a matter of personal pride in changing our name to something that I liked better. <laughs> well, well, well. Oh, my goodness. Who is this? Who is this? Dr. Schatzel, we're already recording. So you jumped into a live recording, a plenary session. And Mehdi Ares. Oh, well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> this is Dr. Joseph Schatzel, assistant professor at the Oregon Health and Science University and a card-carrying classical hematologist. Sven was just pointing out that he has gone from fellow to section chief of classical hematology rather quickly. Has it been nine months? How many months was it? <laughs> I must have meteoric really been rise. Meteoric, yeah. It's often <laughs> that we become section chief. <clears throat> yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to miss that jacket. That's the key to the ensemble. I wore this just for you. <sighs> is this a, a bow tie? Uh, am I correct to say, is that a denim shirt or is that merely a shirt that looks like denim? I. Uh, hematologists, classical hematologists have a free pass for bow ties. That's I believe, Vinaya, the word you're looking for is, uh, it's a chambray shirt. That's the texture, I believe. Okay, good. Very you, uh, comfortable. You earned that section chief title. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you look like you're dressed for doing some bone marrow, so I don't know what's going on over there. Oh, this is actually my, uh, my dry fit uh, shirt that I bike to work in, and then my white coat's over it. I see. Keep it classy for the podcast. Okay, so we, before we, we were going to, you were going to ask me about biking. So let's talk about that for a minute before we talk classical hematology chat. Yeah, uh, well, I've been a, a resident of Oregon now for about seven years, and I, I like refused to bike to work. I was just a fair weather biker, so I only took my nice bike out when it was a nice day and didn't have to actually work after that. Yeah. But we recently moved across the river to Selwood. People know where that is, and that's 
maybe like a 15, 20 minute bike ride, but don't tell these people any, don't tell these people anything more about where you live. That's enough. <laughs> don't tell oh, them it's still relatively big, but anyway, it's a, it involves a, a nice bike ride to work now. And so I, we were just chatting about how do you gear up for the rainy months biking to work in Portland? Well, as you know, I uh, probably more than, probably more than anyone in that department, I've spent more hours out there in the sleet in the rain, in the fog, in the mist. Um, and here's, here's my advice, okay. Take it or leave it. So one, the head. People always think, what do I do about my head? Do I get that uh, over the helmet cover or, or, or you know, the hoodie or whatever? Um, what I'm gonna tell you is counterintuitive, but it's, it's you let the head go. The head is gonna get soaking wet. No matter what you do, you're never gonna have a dry head. So you just let the head get wet. And so I wear uh, a wool stocking cap underneath my helmet just try to keep my ears from freezing to death. Um, but so that, that that's above the neck. And uh, now let's start with the feet. The feet is key. You can get all sorts of booties for your little, I'm, I'm assuming you're writing SPD, SL, clip-ins? Yeah, SPDs. Oh, SPDs. Oh, God. Well, yeah, each, whatever you prefer. You got clipping. Wow. Wow. You're an elitist. Sounds yeah, like. I'm an elitist. <laughs> what do you want all that pressure in the ball of the foot? Oh, you got to spread it out. Okay. Anyway, you, you, uh, the feet, I would say the booties, they all fail. They all eventually leak. So the only solution to the foot problem is to get showers pass waterproof socks. So you let the shoe get wet, but the sock has got the two layers of wool and the impermeable thing in between. And it's like super dry. And then I used to, I used to dry my shoes in the office with my illegal space heater. That, by the way, huh? yeah, I had the space <laughs> heater, uh, but, um, and then once I think I accidentally left it on for like the weekend and I came back and it was like a terrarium in there. It was like all fogged up and oh. it was like 175 <laughs> degrees. Luckily the place didn't burn down. Okay. So that's the feet. So the feet, you got the socks on. And then we talk about the jacket. The jacket's gotta be showers pass. There's a number of showers pass jackets, but showers pass, nothing beats it. I mean, it's Are so you in dry. their pocket? Are you, or did you have to like a conflict of interest slide before talking about this? <laughs> showers pass, proud sponsors, <laughs> the plenary set. No, I've never, I've, in fact, I've only lost money to showers pass. As you will find out a horrendous amount of money because it's really expensive. I um, bet. But the key is the zippers. The zippers are all in these spots where it doesn't get water in, but yet it lets air ventilate when you get hot out there. So it's the only yeah. thing. You know, actually, to be honest, I, it's, I actually like after a while, I didn't even like biking on sunny days. I like biking in like 45 and mist because you're cooler on the inside, you're dry on the outside, and there's something quite, quite pleasant about it. Um, you know, I don't know about listeners if they need to know this, but I always wore headset inside my stocking cap and I would listen to stuff. Uh, you know, and on that, on, on, on spring water, you can pretty much get away with that because there's not many cars. Um, at, in fact, there's no cars. Um, and then uh, in terms of pants, I like the showers pass. I think they're called transit. Of course. They're, they're impermeable on the top and the bottom, but the side has got a little bit of, um, of, uh, of, uh, of like elastic and it can kind of leak in there a little bit, but you know, it's not going to be too bad as long as you're not out there for, you know, over an hour and stuff. And you're probably, you know, you got a 25 minute ride, uh, no big deal. So that's it. I endorse showers pass gear. It's going to set you back. Um, okay, oh, what fenders. am I looking at? What's the what's the price tag for all of this combined? Like a couple hundred bucks, thousand bucks? Yeah, I'm probably <laughs> talking about grand. Yeah, I mean, you want to you oh. want to? Yeah, it's a it's probably a grand. Yeah, I, there are many people biking in the like bright yellow Gordon's Fisherman like attire. Yeah. They, that probably is like thirty dollars. <laughs> dry. You're, you know it's what? Very, I'll tell you. It's very dry. I'll tell you the problem with a lot of the attire. You can get a, a perfectly impermeable coat and you won't get rain through it, but it'll be so hot inside you'll sweat as much as rain and you'll be as wet as you'll be as wet as when you arrive as wet as if you just let it get wet. Only the showers pass maintains the two. 
and um, and uh, you're the section chief of hematology. You can drop a grand on an on an outfit you're gonna bike in every day. Well, I think as you know very well, the section chief of hematology does not bring with it uh, a doubling in salary necessarily. Yeah. So it's not an odd <laughs> <bad> position. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you're the, the fastest rise I've ever seen. So, okay, that's enough about biking. We're here to talk about cerebral venous thrombosis and VIT. Schatzel, what do you know about, what do you know about these things? Uh, well, I've surprisingly been hearing quite a lot about it, mostly in the middle of the night when ER docs call at 3, 4 a.m. with a, a <laughs> patient with a headache. <laughs> but um, it it became clear uh, in the last several months that two vaccines, one that is available in the U.S., um, both with an, made with an adenovirus vector, so That's right. the, uh, Johnson & Johnson, which is That's the right. one we do here in the U.S. and the AstraZeneca, have a very small but significant incidence of severe blood clots, usually in weird spaces, and low platelet count. And clinicians need to understand this because there's very specific um, treatment protocols that can get tricky if you're not careful. Okay. Dr. Olson, anything else you want to add? Um, you know, the first exposure I had to this was when I was on service two weeks ago <clears throat> and a, a local ED in Southern Oregon called me and said, listen, I have three women here in the ED, all with headaches, who all got the vaccine a week ago. What do I do? You know, how do I triage them? Yeah. How do I know who to urgently send to the scanner yeah. and who not to? And at this point, nothing had been published on the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. It was all just, you know, in the press yeah. and just, you know, word of mouth. So it was, um, it was a bit scary to sort of be left completely blind and not, you know, have, have an idea of what maybe to do. And, you know, in that case, I said, well, you better just scan them all because I don't know any better. Well, uh, I would say that I would say, uh, so you're, you're describing a situation no credible data at all has ever been published. If anything, there's no one better to deal with this than a classical hematologist, because we're often in such a situation, yeah. often in such a situation. Um, okay, good. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with you. The answer would be to scan them. Um, I, I mean, that's what I would have done. Um, and uh, I mean, you did probably know a little bit about the AZ experience from Europe. They were already ahead of us and they had isolated CVT. I guess the only things I would add are, um, you know, I just have this article out just as we're talking, it just came out on MedPage and it uh, talked about how, you know, the moment we heard there were six cases per 7 million shots, everyone's like, oh, less than one in a million, no big deal, less than one in a million. And I was like, well, first of all, you better simmer down a little bit. One, that numerator is wrong. When you first hear about the problem, there are a lot of people who have had it happen. They didn't call in and report it. They didn't even think it might've been attributable. They're gonna call in, so that's gonna go up. The second thing is the denominator is not 7 million. It's not all the people you gave the shot to. If you're giving it to 87 year old men and they're not clotting, that's not the denominator. The denominator is the people vulnerable for the event. And that's women under the age of 50 or 55 or 60, and probably even worse for women under the age of 40, so 18 to 40. And finally, you know, we had the uh, AHIP meeting in April 23rd. And now we know that the rate is probably, you know, one in 100,000 for women 18 to 40, um, which is not insignificant. Um, and then the next thing is, the next thing people didn't understand was they're like, oh, well, you know, the rate, the rate of getting a blood clot is 16% um, with COVID, 16.5% apparently. And I said, that, that might be the rate of blood clots somewhere, but it ain't the rate of blood clots for all COVID because there's a lot of people with COVID who never went to the hospital at all. They didn't get blood clots. I mean, and I think what they, what they were doing was like a meta-analysis of ICU studies from the first wave. Okay, that's not right. 
And then the last thing I'd say um, is um, people were like, oh, you know, blood clots are, um, you know, they're they're uh, they're a known entity. Um, you know, obviously you can get a DVT with a OCP, something like that. And I was like, yeah, um, you know, blood clots, they happen here or there. But there's a difference between a blood clot right here in the skull and a blood clot in your leg. And I would say that the skull apparently has no room to give. And so when you have a big backflow problem, you can have a big problem. Dr. Schatzel, when you hear about CVT, um, mm -hmm. you don't think that's a regular old blood clot. You think that's a different type of blood clot. Yeah, that's correct. Um, before these vaccines, the patients I tended to see were younger <laughs> women, possibly on birth control or associated with pregnancy. And it can be extremely symptomatic. They, some people use the phrase venous stroke. And uh, the tricky part you can get into is because the flow gets so backed up, patients can essentially develop bleeding around the blood yeah. clot. Then you're in really tough spot because uh, you need to treat that blood clot by thinning their blood. And so, so that's a very important point, which is that, um, that uh, CVT, especially when it's large and severe, can always present with concomitant hemorrhage. And you know that every expert hematologist will say you press on and you anticoagulate that CVT. That is in line with the guidelines. That is what the and I, I, I sense that you possibly have read the data behind it. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have, my friend. Um, and let's just say, let's just say, here it is. Here it is for you to look at. There yeah, people can't see your five fingers, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, we can because now it's a video podcast. So Ooh, you are, huh? Yeah, it's a video I podcast. I can see you these. Vinay, now I can see these traps that you lay coming a mile away. So I just was smiling yeah. as you led Joe into that. Um, but you're. Yeah. You're I mean, the only one dressed appropriately for the video podcast. You should have no objection. Oh, I'm pleased. Yeah. You're a dapper gent. But I think you're point out that due to the rarity of this entity in the acute setting where people usually, I mean, before this entity, we usually use unfractionated heparin. That's right. Uh, there is a small da data set to yes. show that they probably do better if you keep that going as as much as you can comfortably, you know, people aren't having a severe hemorrhage. I didn't hear the word retrospective. Did you say that retrospective? Uh, I, well, I'll leave it to the reader or viewer to decide how much they value the data. Okay. It comes down but, to but expert you, opinion. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it is, it is, it is what we do. I mean, it is this, yeah. it is the standard. Sven Olson, now let's talk a little bit about VIT, vaccine-induced thrombocytopenia and thrombosis. See, you you always, we rounded together, you know, I remember not that long ago. I was the attending, you were but a mere fellow. Now, of course, you've, you've gone on to become section chief. <laughs> I'm still I'm still the same level I was before. <laughs> you went from boom, 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 now you're the boss. Man. All right, okay, okay. So, so anyway, you would always say something called HIT, heparin-induced thrombocytopenia and thrombosis. What is HIT? Why don't we talk about HIT? What do you do in HIT? And then what the heck is VIT? Well, HIT is um, a reaction to heparin uh, classically. So the it's named that because we recognize that when people who get um, heparin for long enough periods of time and primarily unfractionated heparin, um, the body can develop an autoimmune phenomenon where you actually have a complex of this substance called platelet factor four, PF4, which gets released from platelets. And normally what that does is it plays roles in inflammation and immunity, innate immunity and it actually kind of dampens the anticoagulant effect of heparin. That's kind of the, one of the functions. But you end up getting um, these long, you know, unfractionated heparin strings that are anionic, 
negatively charged and then the PF4 is positively charged, they kind of stick together. And the heparin is, is structured in such a way that it sort of exposes epitopes on the PF4. And then you get your autoantibodies that recognize that and activate that complex, activate platelets, cause thrombosis, cause thrombocytopenia. But weirdly, um, there is a subset of hits that's what's called spontaneous hit. And this, we still don't have a great idea why it happens. There's only a handful of cases published. Um, but what seems to be clear is that stuff other than heparin can do this. So other glycosaminoglycans and heparin sulfate and chondroitin sulfate and free DNA and RNA all can do it because they're all negatively charged in some fashion. Mm -hmm. So it just comes down to what is the trigger. And in these spontaneous cases, usually it's been either a surgery, like a major ortho surgery or a bad infection. And you can kind of reason that, you know, it's a big inflammatory milieu. And so it's sort of promoting an autoimmune phenomenon, but we don't know that for sure. And in these cases, can be really severe and really refractory. And I think that's the kind of phenotype we're seeing with this VIT mm -hmm. where there's no heparin involved, Correct. but something about this vaccine or the milieu in your bloodstream that it's causing is sort of causing these same sort of autoantibodies to PF4. Right. Okay. So one thing to add on to that, I mean, that's a terrific, one of the best explanations I've, I've heard that you actually seem to know what HIT is. Um, because I guess if, to be honest with you, you walk around a hospital long enough, here's what HIT is. HIT is the patient got heparin, now platelets be lower, ergo, let's look into HIT, you know? And then you're like, well, the patient also had sepsis and has liver dysfunction and all these other reasons that might lower platelets, but okay, okay, well. You're going too far. They, they need a consult hematology already. But, you know, <laughs> already. And of course, they've already ordered the autoantibody, and of course, it's already resulted, yeah. Um, okay, uh, but you have to break two pieces of glass to order the serotonin release assay. Um, okay, so so anyway, so there's there's HIT, suspicion of HIT, which is a huge thing, and then there's HIT, the thing you talked about, the real deal HIT. And when you have the real deal HIT, do you administer more heparin to the patient? No. In okay. fact, that's a, a common burn point is, you know, you not only, uh, you know, you got to stop the heparin, whatever the heparin they're on. And, you know, it, it's classically the unfractionated heparin that causes it more often. Although, you know, some meta-analyses will say that in, in therapeutic doses, low molecular weight and unfractionated have pretty equivalent rates, but in profi doses, any dose, even a heparin flush into a pick line has been known to do this. Um, so you stop the heparin one, but then classically the, the uh, other key component is you got to start something else. And that's kind of the scary part is you got to yes. start another anticoagulant. And what do you like to start? Let's say they're hospitalized well, patient, they're having thrombosis. It's a sick set. It's a bad setting. You typically start um, a direct thrombin inhibitor is kind of the, the, the standard. And that's usually something like our gatrobin or bivalrutin. And, but more and more, we're even using just DOAX anti-10A yeah, inhibitors or 10A inhibitors, I should say. Few more drug dinners you use that you'll even use that in antiphospholipid syndrome. Is that right? <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, you wouldn't. Come on. Would you use it in APLS? No. Okay. Okay. It would have okay. to be a good dinner. <laughs> it would have to be. Okay. Well, yeah. Thankfully, there's some places. And next, you're using valvular disease. Mechanic yeah. ball valve, you use it there too, huh? No, I don't think so, my friend. All right, but you, you're using a dog. Okay, uh, Dr. Schatzel, you got yes. a patient hit, you put him on Argatraban. Mm -hmm. um, describe to me what it's like to titrate that Argatraban. Is it fun to do? Uh, no. It, so at our center, we do not have the best means to um, measure DTIs or direct thrombin inhibitors, um, although other centers have some assays that we don't. 
Uh, but we t titrated to their coags actually. So if they have some underlying issue prolonging it, like their liver is not going well, then it is hard. Um, it is, you worry a little about the accuracy of your titration and it is very hard to cross titrate with warfarin um, because the INR is oh, yeah. abnormal. So you have to cross titrate with a chromogenic assay. Uh, mm -hmm. But more and more, we just wait until the hit has resolved to the point that the, the platelets are uh, high enough that we're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then we transition to a DOAC. Yeah. And I think that's the right attitude. And Vinay, I will, I will point out uh, a nice memory I have where we were on service together. And no HIPAA violations. When I, no when HIPAA I said, violations. Let's do, let's do our Gatraban. And you said, what's the data for that? And we looked it up. And this was when I was like a second oh, yeah, year, yeah. third year fellow. And, okay. you know, it was one of those things you just always learn. It's a, you use our Gatraban and then you look it up and lo and behold, it's a single arm study uh, <laughs> that led to that sort of being the gold standard. And I think for me, that makes it even more kind of like now, you know, is that like really the right thing, you know, but that's all we got. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think, um, oh boy, it's been a long time since I looked at the literature, but I think there's also, um, um, there's some, uh, data out of Europe for a, a, a different drug. Um, uh, Fonda Paranux. Oh yeah, the, the pentasaccharide. We could talk about yeah. Fonda, yeah. Ultra low molecular weight heparin. Um, and there is one that we don't have, and you're right, the name what is- What is it, Edoxaban? No, we have Edoxaban. Um, no. Something, it's some, there's, some, uh, there's some drug that we don't have in this country for some reason, but okay. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. But um, you know, the key to rounding with a very smart fellow, now of course, section chief, Sven Olsen, um, is that uh, when I say something, you know, uh, and some people ask me like, well, what's the data for that? And I say, well, you know, that's just, that's just the way we do things. Um, uh, but when Sven <laughs> says something, you always ask him, what's the data for that? And then you know, half the time you catch him, you catch him real good because it's, it's stuff to always know all the data. Um, okay, so I think that's a good summary. So I think what I think you guys have both made eloquent points of CVT, hit, and now you're getting CVT with VIT. And, and this is what the part that I think the average person didn't understand so well, which is we're not just talking about a cerebral venous thrombosis in this syndrome. We're talking about that in the setting of vaccine-induced thrombocytopenia and thrombosis, which is sort of a runaway platelet activation syndrome. And so yeah. you're probably not going to want to give these people heparin. You want to give them argatraban. Um, what do you, what do you, uh, what is, what's your protocol there at, uh, at OHSU now? Have you issued guidelines to the, all the members of the section? We actually we should. Uh, we actually had a conference uh, about a, a case, um, and I don't want to violate HIPAA. Sure. But, uh, at the end of the conference, we essentially almost left feeling like if a patient had had a J&J &J vaccine uh, within, I think if you look in the literature, they'll say four to, 30, four to 30 days. Sure. Yeah. Prior. So they're not going to get it like the, the morning. Yeah. Right. I know. That's another thing. The classic, they died that next morning. It's not the right, it's not the right time course, but go on. Yeah. But if they presented with a thrombosis that was suspicious within that time frame, empirically not use heparin. Yes. Yeah. Start them on our You agree? Down. You agree, Svenjamin? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to, I know the ISTH has now come out with a nice flow chart that, you know, is essentially um, like the diagnostic flow chart for HIT. Um, where oh, if you good. suspect it and you see thrombosis and you see thrombocytopenia, I think that the, the big biomarker that separates these is thrombocytopenia. Um, so that's, that seems to be a consistent thing across all these cases. So if you see that, then you treat it almost like it's hit. You don't give heparin, you do something else and you, you send the assays like you do for hit. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe while I ask Dr. Schatzel a question, try to pull that up and share your screen. We can do all this in the luxury of, sure. of Zoom. Okay, Dr. Schatzel, here's my question for you. Um, um, <laughs> it's hard to take I'm ready. Seriously. Sometimes it's hard to take you seriously, but okay. Uh, okay, my question for you is, um, um, did, did you know you're senior to Dr. Olson and he passed you by for the promotion. Um, is it hard to take orders from someone who, who worked under you? I, I supported Sven for this position because I know in my heart that he will someday out, out achieve me. No, Who says well, he takes orders from me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I think there's little doubt of that. But okay, here's my question for you, Dr. Schatzel. You have, yeah, um, um, so what, what, what's your takeaway on the vaccine? What do you advise? A 22-year-old woman comes to you. Yeah, um, this is a really good question. So I think if you look in the landscape, we have some vaccine options that as far as we know, don't seem to have side effects outside of there's some reports of anaphylaxis, but yes, they don't seem to have side effects uh, day five to 30 that really like this. And you have this option that has a very small side effect. So in my mind, it, it comes down a little bit to, to trolleyology. You have this, yeah, there's this group of people who would have gotten COVID and had an awful outcome. And they get vaccinated and they they don't have that. So the net benefit is good. But there's this other group who has a new problem that might not have had a problem and you, you, we as we caused it. So I yes. think it comes down to how complicit we feel in that. That's a good the net, yeah. The net benefit to society is certainly positive. We prevent a lot of COVID. Um, trolleyology, for those who don't know, is this uh, classic thought experiment where um, you see a two people tied to a track, and uh, there's a you have the opportunity to pull a lever, and um, it can switch the tracks. Uh, but you see, it only runs over one person. Uh, most people would pull it, but if you do the same experiment where there's like two people tied to a track, and uh, you have the opportunity to literally push someone in front of the train to stop them, a lot of people won't, even though the math is the same. And mm -hmm, I think it's mm -hmm. how much it, it's, how it's a lot tougher to, to push someone to there. Yes, these classic trolley problems. Um, yeah, and uh, and it looks like you're you're dressed for the part. You could easily be on a trolley. <laughs> I could conduct that trolley. <laughs> you could conduct. Yeah, I guess uh, here's how I put it to you. I guess I'd say, I mean, the way I thought about it was, I mean, it's exactly the way you think about it. In world A, twenty year old woman gets J and J today potentially, um, and she has a diminished risk of all the bad COVID outcomes. And I'd say, well, what goes into that? I guess a few things. One, how young and how healthy she is. 20, you know, she's probably going to do pretty good, uh, even if she were to get COVID. And the second thing is, what's the probability she gets COVID? And that's, com that's contingent on the, the base rates of COVID, which are kind of declining. And they're different where you are, which I hear is a little bit higher than where I am, where it's really low. Okay. And then the next factor is, in the other world where she doesn't get the J&J, &J, it's presumably she doesn't get nothing. She'll eventually get an mRNA vaccine. What is the actual wait time? And the answer is I spent a lot of time trying to dig this out, but I mean, um, and I talked to a lot of people and a lot of people saying that like in most municipalities, there is no wait. There's mRNA vaccines available right now. And so if there's no wait, I think it's a no brainer. You got to get the mRNA, but let's say you have to wait a week. So then the Delta is like the probability of getting COVID in that week that you're waiting for the other vaccine. And anyway, I, I did a lot of math and you'll, people can read my article. It's out now, MedPage today. Um, and I'm generally quite pessimistic. I'm quite pessimistic that that woman should be getting that J and J vaccine, um, you know, I, I think she probably should wait. Um, and I'm joined by a few other people who are 
scared to say their opinion online. No, who are who are <laughs> there? Sven, did you find this little flow chart? Do you think he froze? Uh oh, I think we got a freeze. Yeah, I think we got a freeze. Well, yeah. Well, I will say to your question about how I counsel people. I mean, and this is an evolving thing because I've only had like a week to counsel people. Yes. <laughs> but I tell them that you know the FDA has placed a label uh, warning that there is a blood clot risk from this yes. vaccine. And yes. I won't. I hear it's you... a small label, very tiny. Yeah. But but they, it's nonetheless there. Here yeah. he is. He's back. And I think if that is a you know something you are very concerned about, you should take that into account with your vaccine choices. And I mean, that's. I mean, what else can I say? I, what else I can you say? You the rate is extremely low. Like it is. When you when you say it out loud, it, it it does seem very very low risk. Well, yes, but also, I guess I put it to you this way: the rate, the probability that that woman will get COVID in the next week that it wakes for the or five days multiplied by the probability that something bad would happen to a 20 year old woman from COVID. Those are also kind of a low number too. I say the same ballpark. I say the same yeah. ballpark, uh, but you know, they presented an analysis at HIP where they had a big difference, but they did not include in the model, the fact that she would get a different vaccine at a later date that was missing from the model. That's kind of a big, a big deal. Okay. Sven Olsen, you're back. Do you have, you're muted. Do you have the screen to share or no? I have a screen to share, indeed. I'll share sure. it right now. Let's share. Let's walk it. Let's see it. I don't think I've seen this. This is the I, the I, what is it? International Society of Thrombosis Hemostasis, I-S-T-H. Yes. Yes. Okay. So this is one of the, um, the, the big societies that have meetings every year, like mm -hmm. ASH, and then there's I-S-T-H. I-S-T-H, I've actually never been to, but it is more geared towards thrombosis hemostasis, obviously. So wow, you're, less of, less of as, even, though you're, even though you're section chief, you've not, still never been. I've never, well, the last time I was in Australia and I was still a fellow, a poor fellow at that point. So I couldn't <laughs> afford to fly there for three days. Well, that doesn't stop all the fellows. Okay, go on, go on. So Some of them here, a lot here's of their interim travel. guidance that I think this was, yeah, this was published just a few weeks ago. Okay. Um, so basically what they're asking for is if you see someone come in with thromboembolism and any of these symptoms, which of course are, you know, consistent with, you know, headache with CVT and then abdominal pain with splanchnic thrombosis. Cause we know I've seen a few of those That's too right, with yeah. uh, AstraZeneca and the Johnson Johnson leg pains, DVT, chest pains, a PE, and then, uh, you know, this time frame of the vaccine. Um, and if you have yes to both, then you basically screen for it. Interestingly, I, I was actually wrong. So here the, um, Platelet count doesn't necessarily come into effect yet in this flow chart, but of course. Uh, you basically image them. And then depending on kind of your platelet count, you triage further. And uh, you can Okay, wait, hold on, hold on. So then you screw up. Uh, well, I mean, go back a little bit. I want to look at this thing a second. All I right, mean, I don't know I mean, how much you want me to read through this flow chart for you, but. No, no, I, I see. Okay, so one, I mean, you come in with severe persistent headaches, severe persistent abdominal pain. I mean, let's be honest. You you don't need any flow chart to know that they got a date with a CT scanner in this country. They're headed Pretty for the much. scanner. Okay, so they get the scanned, then they do a CBC, and then let's say there's no thrombosis on imaging and the plate count is good, not VIT. Okay, so then you go back to not a VIT. Let's say there's a thrombosis and the platelet count is low, then you're in the possible VIT. Okay, yep. you go down initial evaluation, standard anticoagulant studies. Okay, good. Order immunoassay for PF4. Oh, you know, we didn't even talk about this, but my understanding of the adenoviral vector is that the adenovirus has a ton of DNA. DNA is negatively charged. And that is similar to the unfractionated heparin molecule that you described, the negative and positive charge come together, create the autoantibody. So it's thought to be spillage of DNA in the extracellular space. Um, that's what I heard. That's, 
that's one explanation. You know, the other explanation is interesting. The um, the AstraZeneca vaccine is a yeah. chimpanzee yes, derived adenovirus vaccine, yes, and actually, yes. it's it's there's publications that have shown that it actually activates platelets, this adenoviral vector. So whether somehow that's playing a role in this too is kind of up for debate, but. Um, anything more, I think right now is speculative. It's all speculation. It's all, as is often the case, the basic science is always one speculatory step behind the clinical findings. Um, uh, oh, they're not going to like that, but that's true. I mean, I think the clinical syndrome comes before the under the pathophysiology. Okay. So then let's say you order your tests, the PF4 ELISA is positive with a high ocular density. That's true. Then VIT is confirmed. Okay. And if the PF4 is negative, what do they say? They say it's not VIT. Is that right? Go back up. What does that arrow go to? Correct. And the PF4, so the PF4 immunoassay is, is, um, has extremely high negative predictive value. So if you don't have that positive, then, then you're basically free and clear because, you know, there's actually a subset of patients that walk around with PF4 antibodies and they're healthy. So, so it's know, not that's, a, that's yeah. what I, it's never been studied. What, what, what they should simply do, get a thousand people getting J&J vaccine, check PF4 antibodies before, vaccinate them, and check PF4 antibodies four weeks later. What percent of people have PF4 antibodies that are not presenting with the syndrome? Potentially though, they're primed. And so if you ever get heparin in the future, maybe they'd want to know about that. I don't That's know. True. Yeah. There okay. is a high rate, there is a high rate of PF4 positivity and like heart surgery and other things. Yes. But you, and, but yeah. you, don't, you don't develop the syndrome, but it's possible. It's yeah, like 3%, 4%, something like that. Well, I do. Well, so, and another, you know, another theory behind this is that, you know, the same reason why you can get spontaneous hit if you have some sort of big trauma or surgery or yes. bacterial infection, you prime your immune system by having all these negatively that. charged things in your blood, and then you yeah. give them this vaccine, and that's yeah. the second hit. Ha uh, pun. Ha. No then, pun. Uh, yeah. Then maybe that's sort of another reason that these people are primed from something else. Okay, scroll down. I guess I, I guess I agree with you that the the PF4 ELISA is very sensitive in HIT, but do we know enough about VIT? I don't know. All right. Anyway, okay. Point taken. Okay. Well, every I mean, in all these publications, every, almost every single case, I think with the exception of maybe one or two, yeah, in the handful of cases now, has had a positive yes. PF4. Right. Um, so I mean, that's that's not perfect, but it's pretty compelling. And I the mean, fact it's that, all that it's, these... off, it's compelling that it's often present, but it's not compelling to me what the exact sensitivity. Okay, go on. All right. That All right, and I... also the fact that the ones that are causing problems, the vaccines are definitely these adenoviral vectors, not the mRNA ones. That's so true. Those two pieces of information are kind of, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I'm, con I'm convinced that it is related to the, you know, the other thing is like CVT with, um, with VIT, with, with, with uh, thrombocytopenia and an active thrombotic state with PF4 antibodies. People are like, oh, well, you have to subtract the, the baseline CVT. No, you don't subtract anything. This is a novel clinical entity that has never existed. And this is definitely implicated. It's definitely causal. It ain't not causal. It is causal. Okay, it's related. Okay, now let's go to VIT. Um, um, okay, IVIG comments. IVIG is what is typically used in cases of spontaneous hit and refractory cases of hit. And the reason being... Um, it's sort of similar to why you use it for things like ITP, mm -hmm. where, you know, the part of the reason the platelets get consumed and activated is you have these autoantibodies that mm -hmm. then get picked up by other FC receptors. Uh, their FC segment gets picked up by other receptors on other platelets, and it's just this feedback loop. So if you interrupt that with IVIG, and that's thought to kind of, you know, stymie this whole process. Non-heparin anticoagulant, I'm with you there. Yep. Uh, Don't forget, uh, consult with thrombosis expert. Okay. Good. Oh, they good. should do that. <laughs> yeah, be useful. This this steroid. There's. I have uh, two comments. The one time I used IVIG in in um, 
autoimmune hit or the spontaneous hit. It really amazingly worked quick. Uh, like the next day, the platelets snapped from 20 to normal. Um, Good. The other point I'll make is the steroids on here is somewhat controversial. And if you read some more U.S. authors, they're kind of saying that uh, maybe that that needs more study before we routinely. Oh, well, maybe all of it needs more study, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Still need the steroids. Um, consult thrombosis expert. I'll take it. I'll take this consult. Um, plasma exchange of platelets less than 30 after IVIG and steroids. Uh-huh. Comments? That That is definitely part of, kind of like a Hail Mary at the end of this whole list. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, there's lots of reasons we do apheresis mm-hmm. and uh, plasma exchange. And, you know, this is probably... Um, if someone is at that point, yeah. then, you know, they're in dire straits and theoretically you could, you know, farise off these autoantibodies, um, and, you know, theoretically, it's yeah. the last, last refuge of the hematologist. It's the last what? The last refuge. The last thing you could possibly do. <laughs> Replace the plasma. Replace all the plasma. Replace it. <laughs> yes, that is true. Yeah. Okay, good. When I looked through this, I had a couple of thoughts. So one, yes. and this uh, was a question that came up recently in our internal discussion. What is the false positive rate if you're getting head imaging of to look for venous um, clots in like, yes, probably like oh, sh- the, the rate of people, I meant to- probably women who are going to get this yeah, yeah. now is going to go up like 400% to what it was in like 2020. Um, oh, you know, I so meant, I, I meant- gonna- I meant to do it, but what you're saying is like, you know, the true event rate, you know, that women in this age group who get it, headaches are not uncommon because, you know, you can get headache from vaccine. And then if they all go to the hospital, there's certain sensitivity specificity. And then if they all get the PF4 antibody, there's certain sensitivity specificity. Um, uh, you might get a lot of people on, I, I guess I, it would be kind of a fun experiment to crunch the numbers and see what you'd get. Yeah. It's not yeah. trivial. I don't think you're onto something. I think, yeah. There will be some people who are treated because of a finding on the radiology that might not have been truth. It's just inevitable. Um, the other thought experiment I had was, you know, there's all these studies uh, where we do screen thrombosis in like surgery or ICU. And if yes, you are I'm a population with a, with a high blood count or with the high blood clot risk, and you run an ultrasound over everybody's legs, you'll find a lot more clots than if you look when there are symptoms. But I wonder just how many people after the vaccine are getting brain clots and that may, that we don't know, I guess. Right. Cause, are, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I guess I would say, you know, we're going to post this video really soon, but we should, you should, we should sketch out your thought experiment, um, which is, which is, you know, all these parameters can be estimated from the literature. We can just put them together and have a little rough ballpark estimate. Sensitivity and specificity of head CT or MR brain for CVT. I, I looked into it. I think it's not um, it, there, It's not 99.9. I think it was like in the, I, 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 I'm tempted to say a number, but I don't want to say it because it's, my memory is foggy. Um, but it certainly wasn't 99.9 uh, for both quantities. And then you have to multiply it by the probability somebody has platelets, or has, uh, platelets less than 150, which is also not tr- zero. Um, the probability somebody gets a headache after this vaccine. I think I was looking at the package label um, or the NEJM study for that. I think it would be kind of an interesting thing to actually plot out that if you test positive, the probability are real positive, you know, in both the scenarios, um, we should, somebody should write it up. If a listener- I'll tell you just like, I can't even count the number of times we've had referrals, you know, patients transferred or to our clinic where they come with a 
outside read of a study of a scan that says they have a big portal vein clot. And then they come here with their CDs of oh, their images. And then we, we hand them to our radiologists and they're like, there's no, there's no clot. There's nothing there. And they look and they look and they look and they say, I don't know how that would have been detected. So that's, I mean, that happens, I think, more often than we think that stuff's picked up and then it ends up being nothing. I see. Fascinating. Yes, I remember. You know, one of the other things you said uh, remind jogged my memory, which was you said you're on call and you got a call from Southern Oregon. And as you know, I've attended on that service, uh, the classical service. Uh, I've also spent many years attending on the leukemia service when the five years I worked there. And uh, you are on call. And when you're on call, you get calls from the whole state. You get all those calls. And so can't tell you how many times I remember being woken up to something going on in Pendleton or Medford or you name it. Fun. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, we've had to learn to do remote visits with like clinic and, you know, being able to see the patient makes a huge difference, even on that virtual screen, but it's always been still disconcerting to make the call to, you know, do some aggressive maneuver from like four or 500 miles away or, you know, authorize a, a life flight to helicopter them up to our hospital without ever having laid eyes on them or, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, that will never go away. As and then when they get off the life flight, they hand you the CD and you check the CD and there's no clot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yes. All right. I'll give you guys the last word. Dr. Schatzel, closing thoughts on CVT, VIT, the management. I think this was fun. Yeah. Uh, well, trolleys, I just you can even talk about trolleys if that's where your heart is. I wanted to do a whole episode on trolleyology and medicines. Uh, so feel free to have me back. <laughs> I will love to. Yeah. I have a good book, you know, it's called, uh, um, living high and letting die by Peter Unger, a moral philosopher. It's full of trolley problems. Yeah. You know, I did What's once upon a time study a lot of this, huh? I think blood thinner management certainly is a bit of a trolley problem. Oh, it is. Oh gosh, come on. I mean, the, the core tenant of the hematology profession is you are, we, you, you err on the side of avoiding clot and not avoiding bleeding. Yeah. Yep. All bleeding stops, but not clotting. All bleeding, All bleeding stops. stops. Eventually, <laughs> yes, yes, but not clotting. Uh, clotting keeps going yeah. on. Okay, uh, Sven Olsen, any last thoughts on CVT, VIT, um, what it's like to be section chief? I would just say that I'm really happy that what started as a uh, MedRx preprint about um, thrombosis with these vaccines turned out to be a little more than that because man, I got kind of tired of reading all of these preprint articles that ended up kind of panning out to nothing um, or being overblown. So I was pleased that this, the, the concern was warranted and that, you know, this is a real thing. It seems I mean, like, you, albeit, you know, still pretty rare. You, you wish this problem didn't occur, but at least you're happy to know that, you know, this is something real and it's not one of these, uh, uh, cause I remember the first wave of the pandemic, we heard thrombosis, 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 a lot of it didn't pan out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I think it was nice that these publications came out fairly quickly after these reported cases. You know, it was just a week ago or two weeks ago that Johnson Johnson even spoke about this, it seems like. And then, you know, there's already a paper in uh, in, in JAMA, I believe, about now the J&J &J vaccine. So That's that was right. pretty fast. And I think that was good. I agree with you all both. I guess uh, this was a good I mean, my, my take home points are um, a CVT is not the same as a DVT. CVTs can sometimes present with concomitant hemorrhage and this practice is to continue anticoagulation. Um, 
HIT and VIT are unique pathophysiology entity that Sven described nicely. We often use non-heparin anticoagulants, such as uh, just the tip of heparin, which is the fondaparinux, the pentasaccharide moiety, or DOAX, or direct oral anticoagulants, or uh, argatroban, which is an intravenous uh, direct uh, uh, thrombin inhibitor. Um, and uh, the other takeaway points is IVIG, I see, has been already slipped into the guidelines, including plasmapheresis when you're in a pickle, because... That's what hematologists have, so that's what hematologists do. Um, and, and then the key question of whether or not this should be offered to women in this age group, does autonomy win or does um, prudence win? For that, I refer interested readers to my MedPage article where I have a strong opinion. And, um, and I guess the real lesson is this. When you hear about a thrombosis, your first reaction should not be to make a meme and tweet it out. Your first reaction should be to consult your hematologist. You know, that the thing said, it said like consult a thrombosis expert. It should have said that before you make your goddamn meme. Be consult a hematologist and then make your meme that you're going to tweet. Not tweet, then get the <laughs> I'd like to say one more thing. Yes. Buy showers pass. <laughs> Buy showers pass. They're not the sponsor. I think I'm actually, am I wearing showers pass gear? It's ironic because I actually did uh, go have to ride my bike a little bit today. Um, yeah, but you know what? I'll tell you one thing. San Francisco, you uh, not nearly as uh, as soggy as uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, not nearly as soggy. So I haven't had to b get full use. Actually, I've never, I've never worn the waterproof socks since I've been here. I've never had to wear the waterproof pants. I have worn the jacket. It's time Send them to me. Send them to me. <laughs> I don't think we're the same size. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Well, maybe, maybe you're, you're the section chief of hematology. You've, you've attained things in Oregon that I could never have dreamt of. <laughs> that seems like the parting line. That's you've, you've remained fixated on that. Maybe that's I love it. There. <laughs> I love it. It's well-deserved because you are a knowledgeable man. Dr. Schatzel, trolleyologist, Svenjamin Olson, section chief. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. You've been listening to season three of plenary session. Plenary Session is produced by Kiana Klossner. Music by Ian Straley and Audrey Tran. The views expressed on Plenary Session are those of whoever said it and no one else. Plenary Session is not medical advice. Follow us on Twitter at plenary underscore session. Until next time. <laughs>